Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello and welcome to Vice and Easy. This week is actually going to be an incredible week. We have one of the best episodes of the entire series, if not the best, to break down season one, episode 21, Evan. So for those of you who've never seen it before, let me give you a little rundown from IMDb. Per IMDb, Crockett and Tubbs joined forces with the Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, including Crockett's old vice partner, Evan Freed. Tubbs tries to understand their troubled relationship. Um, one funny note, and then I'll get into some serious stuff. I only knew what alcohol, tobacco, and firearms was. Obviously, we didn't have it in Canada. It's named something else. Because in Beavis and Butthead do America, when they save America, they get um, a visit from ATF, and they're like allowed to have all this stuff. And I was like, wow, they just get to the point. Alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Um, and on a sadder note, there are some things I'm going to admit from this episode. So as you know, um, if you're a diehard fan, or if you don't, I'm just going to give you a little fun fact that's not so fun. So basically, this episode on streaming did tend to be taken off. And there are obviously a lot of theories about it. It does use the F word. So obviously that homophobia. There are depictions of neo-Nazi, uh, Nazi flag and memorabilia. That's one big reason. And they like to say it's a rights issue might be with Peter Gabriel's songs. However, I think it's the previous two reasons I mentioned. So this episode is a little dark. There are some themes I'm going to warn you about, some trigger warnings, homophobia, suicide, mental health. Um, But overall, I do hope you stay if you can, because it is a great episode featuring the dad from Boy Meets World. So a very small world where everything's coming together. So let's break down one of the best episodes, if not the best episode of Miami Vice, season one, episode one, Evan. Let's begin, shall we? So we open the shots with these beautiful, weird mannequins. I really like the... the color they are, they're kind of like a shiny mauve. And we don't really know what's going on. Peter Gabriel is playing in the background. Corey Matthews' dad steps out of this car along with Al Israel. And you don't probably recognize his name. He is the guy in Scarface who chopped up Tony's friend with a chainsaw. We'll get to more on him later in the episode. Not really a lot of gossip, but basically what they say his age is in the file. So stay tuned. This is a really creepy scene where he gets out and kisses the mannequin. Please listen to this. If this is no context, Miami Vice, it is giving you a big ick right now. Little girls, you miss me? You like money in a bank. Uh, so we really don't know what this meaning is. We know that Crockett and Tubbs are across the street doing surveillance. They also got Castillo and they got uh, Zito and Switek. So everyone's kind of staking this place out. It is the warehouse they blew up in Bad Boys. So that's where you're also going to recognize this from. Love Miami filming locations because a lot of times you can recognize the exact same filming locations. And it's not a small city, but I guess, you know, there are some really iconic places that you want to keep documenting in films and television so i do get that so it turns out they're using these mannequins to test mac 10 guns which i'm very ignorant are small easy to conceal automatic weapons hence they were popular in the 80s for those reasons so crockett and tubbs hear what's going on and they warn zero and switek before they actually barge in that they might be carrying MAC-10s. So we see the mannequins all blown up, uh, in part by Corey Matthews' dad. His name is William Russ, and in this episode, his name is Evan. So from here on out, I will be respectful and a little bit professional and call him Evan. 
not Mr. Matthews. <laughs> so after all that goes on, Zito and Switek do barge in. A shootout does start. There is a beautiful black car. I was not able to pinpoint the model. Unfortunately, I do have to go to work in about an hour and a half, so I don't really have a lot of time to research it. I was trying to research today. If anybody knows, please let me know. I also asked on Imgur. It is the second car that swoops into the warehouse, and it's this beautiful black sports car. It's not a Trans Am from what I believe. It doesn't have the same kind of detailing on the front. And I'm not talking about like the emblem. Um, so if anyone can ID that car, please kindly let me know in the comments. And as the shootout goes on, well, the guys in the fancy black car I'm trying to ID are dead. Then Evan and the gentleman he's there with, the guy I mentioned from Scarface, the older gentleman, who is incredibly stylish this episode because not only is he an 80s gangster, one, smoking cigarettes with a cigarette holder, two, walking with a badass cane, three, has a pool and does briefcases full of money. So he is like the... (laughs) the shining beacon of 80s gangsters, in my opinion. As they're driving out... They give zero Fs because I say this as a car is parked outside the garage door in order to, you know, maybe slow them down. Evan just hits the gas, hits this car. The other car blows up as Evan and his compatriot, who will learn later's name is Guzman, drive out of there, which boggles the mind as how fast you have to be going or what maybe it was like a Ford Pinto. Wasn't that the car that would always blow up? <laughs> like, I just don't get it. So after that, a huge fireball erupts outside, obviously distracting the cops as Evan and this guy get away. So we really don't know a lot of what's going on as we go into the intro. We only know MAC-10s, dangerous, and giving zero Fs as to who or what they hurt. So let's see how this episode continues, shall we? So as the Vice Squad is detailing the scene, trying to figure out what's going on, obviously being taken by surprise, Crockett does find something good, a wallet. They found this on our friend. I don't get it. Small time snitch gives us what he calls a nickel and dime buy. Turns out to be Armageddon. Yeah, so there's just a lot of question marks with this all. So basically Castillo wants them to run all the information they find on the wallet uh, to try to find out, you know, who's who they can trace this back to. So they're back at the precinct. Crockett just keeps having a bad feeling about this because the guy whose wallet they found went to his place. It is completely torched, cleanly, a little bit too precise, almost like place is cleaned out. I mean, very professional. This whole thing is starting to feel creepy. The kind of stuff you DEA guys pull. This is the guy. I found him. This is the guy. Lieutenant! I found him. This is the guy. Right here. Limp from gunshot wound in left leg. Four years in Argentina. Black market. Dual purpose grenades Burma, El Salvador, Nicaragua. Nothing like door-to-door sales to third-world households. Okay, so I have some other notes to add to the file. They have a note written in pen that says, Neo-Nazi Cazadores. And that's um, where Crockett is able to source a little bit more information from the Neo-Nazi arms dealer. Then, I am not joking, I have the file, I zoomed in, I circled it, I circled his birthday, and then it has the number 27 
They're trying to say that this guy was born on March 7th, 1958. This episode was filmed in 1985. The math, 27 years old. Please look at the man in question. He is the first picture on the gallery, which was not going to give me any upvotes. I'm quite aware. As if that man is 27. And I understand I'm looking at this as a, from a lens of 2022 when you can zoom in on everything and you can pause everything. But like 27, come on, at least say 40. 27? Boy, I really hope somebody got fired for that blunder. And so this is the scene that I don't have any media from um, for many reasons, because it is taking place at a neo-Nazi survivalist arms dealer. But this is where Crockett has sourced information before relating to the Casadores, And then he's trying to ask the guy in question about the Mac 10s. Says it'll be a couple days. Crockett and him kind of go back and forth. And basically it ends with Crockett asking straight up for his source. This is where we are introduced once again to the man in question from the opening scene. And sorry for the cut in and cut outs. Basically, in short, I don't have time to edit this episode. <laughs> I can, but I don't like to make it late um, before I have to run off to work. So I went back to taking my notes on legal pads. I used to have this reusable notebook, but it kind of became a pain in the butt. The pens kept dying and I kept spending all this money on pens. And I'm like, yes, it's better than for your environment, but it's also just a pain in my ass. So I'm using a legal pad, so I have to manually turn it over. So I'm trying to do that within natural pauses of the dialogue and how I'm delivering. But I know it's going to sound a little bit janky. So I do apologize in advance. However... Let's take a moment, if you are not driving, please join me at the gallery to see what this house looks like. Giant, white, beautiful pink doors, maybe a soft red, I'm going to say pink, glass blocks, 8 out of 10. I think it would have like a little bit more decor and like a little bit more um, horticulture, you know, maybe like a more beautiful garden, a little bit more excessive. But this is where they're meeting the gentleman in question, Guzman. There, the decor inside again. I'm gonna say is like a seven out of ten. I think it could have gone a little bit more over the top. Seeing how this guy actually wasn't Scarface, you could have really kind of laid into that. And he's an international arms dealer. I guess you know he wants to live a little bit more of a low key life. He's not too flashy. Okay, rolls eyes. And this is very funny as we're living in a world now dealing with post-pandemic inflation and supply chain issues because this is Guzman's problem. My biggest problem right now is too much inventory. And again, I don't really know what would prompt him to say that because the whole point of economics is supply and demand. However, I will digress. As they're talking... They kind of both want different things. They're not really getting heated that I can tell from this situation. But someone who's coming down the stairs is not taking too kindly to Crockett. And this is where we finally meet Evan properly. Who is this guy? Who are you, big mouth? Give it a rest. This guy has an attitude, a real attitude. What is your problem? I have no problem. Okay, a few things I would like to point out about this dialogue. Number one, how is it not evident that he is an undercover cop? He has narc vibes 
all over him. I do not know how he's been able to be the right-hand man of an international arms dealer saying stuff and like, what is your problem, big mouth? I know in the 80s, maybe vernacular was a little bit different, but he just sounds like a narc however way you cut it. I do not know how he got that far. Two, after I'm watching the end of the episode, maybe I should come back to this at the end of the episode so I don't want to spoil it. No, you know what? You guys have already seen the episode or you will. I think he's taking that tone to get Crockett out of the situation. I don't think he's being a jerk. I think he's trying to put distance and get him off the case for multiple reasons, which we'll come back to. That's basically my take on it. And so after all that kind of like hot-headedness, Evan does calm down. They're trying to negotiate. Evan does not want to negotiate, which again comes back to the point I said. Tub says that maybe they can be flexible, but they have to ask their superior and they'll get back to them in 24 hours. As they're leaving the house, Tub says that he can't wait to pop Evan. And Crockett has some surprising news. We're not going to pop him. He's a cop. Also, what I thought of that situation is that they're saying this while they're still on Guzman's property. As if someone in the 80s who's an international arms dealer wouldn't have security cameras, recording devices, up the yin-yang. So that's one thing. I get it that it's for stylistic reasons because you want to have that kind of revelation in front of this big gaudy house. But I think I would have waited till maybe I was off the property to say that. Just just my two cents. <laughs> oh, my God. I forgot the suit was coming up. Okay. <laughs> so... Maybe the nicest way to say this is this is Napoleon complex personified. There is an incredibly aggressive, short, bald man. And he's like half bald, so it's even worse. He's bald at the front and then it kind of goes into like that clear dome and there's a little bit of hair in the back with a giant mustache. And he's so much shorter than Castillo. And Castillo is not a tall man either. So I could definitely sense that he has like a little bit of like a, a complex because he is just going off of Castillo and his tone is wild disrespectful and is not working with Castillo at all. And so him and Castillo are arguing. Basically, the ATF agent does not want Evans cover blown. Therefore, he does not want the vice squad to bust Guzman. The vice squad does not care about that. They just want to keep the guns off the streets, which I want you to keep in mind. And they want to bust Guzman. So they're at odds. Again, you have two different agencies, two different goals trying to coexist and obviously butting heads. But... Please listen to this clip. This is how this guy sounds. I will bust anyone necessary. You will bust nobody. I don't care if this Omega group is buying bazookas. You're not going to jeopardize this operation. Those MAC-10s will not reach the street. I do not know how Castillo can thoughtfully and calmly and firmly respond to that kind of energy, but I really appreciate it because I could not. <laughs> I could not at all. So at the end, they agree. The ATF agent agrees that they will make the buy or that they will let the vice team make the buy so that the guns are not on the streets, thereby protecting the citizens of Miami. I will also 
add, because I think I forgot to add it before, my mind is a little bit all over the place, that the MAC-10s they found had armor-piercing bullets. So this is definitely a question of safety. So this is very much where Castillo was coming from. Castillo calls Crockett and Tubbs in to come talk to the ATF agent because the ATF agent wants to know which one, Tubbs or Crockett, was Evan's partner. And Crockett doesn't really say much. He basically does agree. He does point out the fact that, yes, that him and Evan did work together. Crockett then wants to talk to Castillo alone. Crockett asks to be allowed off the case. Castillo refuses. Again, Crockett has no reason. There's no, he's not giving him any reason. He doesn't want to say why. And at the end of the day, Castillo says, quote, the job gets done. And that the understanding that Crockett wanted on behalf of Castillo was not going to happen. And that Castillo is not going to give him any leeway or any flexibility in this situation. And he's off the case. So Crockett's pissed. He's walking out of the precinct and Tubbs asks Crockett he's walking out and Crockett says he'll tell him tomorrow. So Tubbs then asks Gina, who's furiously typing away on a typewriter and behind there's actually a picture or a graph of deaths, accidents, so forth at Miami and they actually were going down. They were charting down as of the time I took the picture. So I thought that was kind of like a little cool prop. They can't get Guzman's age right, but at least, you know, they can kind of show that with every subsequent year that crime was falling in Miami, thanks to the Vice Squad. So I thought that was interesting. So, yes, he's getting asking Gina to pull up some recon on Mr. Evan Freed because, again, he used to work Vice, so they can easily access his files. So while we wait on that, we are now stopping by Guzman's house. Guzman is enjoying the pool. Guzman walks with a limp. He was shot in the leg. So you can see his helper wearing very tight sweatpants for the 1980s. Like, I mean tight. I mean, you can see this guy's like bubble butt in these tight gray sweatpants. Uh, lift him out of the pool, which I thought was nice, and wrap him in a towel. So he goes and walks over to join Evan as Guzman is having this delicious breakfast of what looks like fresh fruit. I believe there's grapefruit. There might be a little bit of meat on there. This delectable plate. Well, Evan... <laughs> Just like Crockett, you know what they say that you what you dislike in others, what you dislike in yourself. So maybe this is why they're butting heads because Evan is smoking a cigarette and drinking whiskey on the rocks at what appears to be 8 a.m. Guzman also agrees with me and thinks he needs to get a little bit more nutrients. You know, my cook is quite good. One day. I will let him fix you something special, besides ice cubes. Where I will note a difference is that Evan is drinking some kind of Spring Creek whiskey, whereas Crockett, I've seen him with a bottle of Jack Daniels. So that is where their tastes differ, and we'll point that out. And as they're talking, Evan keeps lamenting again that he doesn't like Crockett and Tubbs, he doesn't get a good feeling, but his boss, Guzman, doesn't understand, and he likes them. And the deal go through, and then they joke that maybe Guzman killed him, and then Evan also offers to kill them. So, ha 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 And obviously I say that with a sarcastic, a sarcastic tone, which I can't do. I've never been good at sarcasm, so I shouldn't have even done that. Maybe I will edit this episode so I can cut that out. Um, I'm saying that I meant that tone because in the next scene, Evan does go visit Crockett at the St. Vitus dance. 
Crockett looks amazing. He looks like he just got out of the shower. He's ultra tanned. His hair is slicked back. And he's in this, I don't want to say turquoise blue, but it's like a very bright, almost electric blue. And it looks so good on him. Everyone in Miami Vice just wear blue all the time because I think they look beautiful. They're right by the beach. I think if I could go back in time before I was born and work on costume design, this is what I would do. Hello, Michael Mann. I will find you every single shade of blue that suits everybody's skin tone and eyes and hair. That would be my job. I'd be so proud. That would be like my the happiest life's work I could ever imagine. So basically, Guzman sent Evan over to the boat to make a deal. But they have a long history together. I think there's a little bit more to it. It starts to get a little bit darker when Evan pulls a gun threatens to kill them both. And it just keeps getting worse from there. <laughs> Whoa! Crockett! Here's one with your name on it. Did you ever think that's funny? That there's a bullet somewhere with your name on it? You're a sick man, Free. Tell me, Sonny. How does it feel to be perfect? Remember that he says that, Crockett, how does it feel to be perfect? Then he tosses Crockett the bullet and says that the deal's going on. (sighs) Very icky scene. That that definitely gets under your skin. And then we go back to the precinct where Gina and Tubbs are looking beautiful. Tubbs is in like a very bright shade of purple and Gina is in a very cute, I would call it a button-up vest. Like It's like sleeveless, wool white with pink stripes and you can button up the middle she looks great she does get a little bit more intel that she shares with Tubbs so Evan used to work with Crockett and a guy named Michael however after that Evan was transferred and then since then she's noticed that he's basically taken on every suicide mission every high risk dangerous situation dangerous case since then That's all she has, though. And so with that limited information, Tubbs does not have a full picture of what's going on. Again, Crockett's refusing to talk to him about it. He says it'll tell him tomorrow. And the next scene, they're already driving together when Tubbs just straight up asks them, who is Mike Orgel? Crockett screeches, slams on the brakes, pulls over, and asks him, how does he know that information? Then they start talking a little bit more. It gets a little bit more heated. Crockett is upset that Tubbs has basically pulled Evan's jacket or folder to get that information behind his back. Tubbs responds that, well, Crockett didn't give him any choice. He wasn't opening up about it. it gets worse. It's none of your business. Excuse the hell out of me. Now, we happen to be involved in an operation. And if something is going down between you and our middleman, there's then I nothing need to going know it. down. You don't need to know anything. And where the hell do you come off demanding that I bear my soul to you? You're my partner, not my hey, priest. Hey, 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 don't be copping no attitude, man, because I don't need to hear it. You want to drop the friendship and just be partners? So be it. So be it. Silent. Boy, that must have been an awkward car ride. It's worse enough when you're in the car with someone who's in a bad mood, but when you're fighting with someone and you guys are in a Ferrari, I'm sure it's much worse. So 
next scene, Evan and Guzman come to Crockett and Tubbs to make a deal. Again, I keep noting the cigarette holder. I am obsessed with this thing. When I was watching Casino, Robert De Niro had this gold bejeweled cigarette holder. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> it's so amazing. I'm not trying to glamorize smoking. It is very deadly. I will die a horrible, slow, painful death. It is not something to ever start. But the fact that men, like grown, powerful men, are using cigarette holders so their fingers don't smell like cigarettes is just chef's kiss. You have no idea how much I love it. And so after that very awkward car ride home, Evan and Guzman come to Crockett and Tubbs to make a deal. However, Guzman is going back on his deal. Originally 2400 now 3000 They don't like it. Crockett and Tubbs are not happy about it. Evan even tries to talk to him. Guzman ends up pulling a gun out on Evan. Evan taunts him and then gets incredibly politically incorrect in this next clip. Come on. He did this in Banana Land all the time. Used to shoot people just for being left-handed. Go ahead. Get it over with. I don't care. It's a graveyard of sorts. Do it. So part of me wants to steal Diaz Samaro on their podcast, Bodega Boys. They had this problematic light that would pop up whenever they said something problematic. And I really do want to kind of bring that into the show because there are a lot of things, obviously, that have not aged well. Uh, that being one of them. So maybe that's something I'm going to look for. That's not a direct copy from them. So it's like not directly copyright infringement, but just like kind of inspired and as you can tell like listen to that taunting Evan really does not care if he lives or dies because you would not be telling an international arms dealer that you're working for undercover to just shoot you and when he says graveyard it's because they're in kind of a junkyard there's all these car parts scattered around them he really gives zero F's but even though he really doesn't care if he lives or dies he does tell Guzman straight up try doing business in Miami without me so far you'll go. And Guzman knows that he does need him to kind of be on his side. So they end up not killing each other <laughs> and doing a deal with Crockett and Tubbs. Speaking of Crockett and Tubbs, the next time we see Tubbs, he's in an incredibly 80s aesthetic, perfect 80s nightclub. I don't want to say it's a nightclub. I want to say it's more akin to a lounge because there aren't people dancing. There are people sitting on couches and mingling. Tubbs is mingling en français. Aujourd'hui c'est moi. Aujourd'hui l'amour ce qui nous attend. Oh, I don't know. If I let you take me home, you might expect me to sleep with you. Not a wink. <laughs> <laughs> let me tell my wife. I can't fully understand. It just said today it's me and then something about tonight it's in the stars. I thought that was very clever. I thought it was very cute and charming. Not a wink. It took me upon four rewatches because I have to watch to get the clips. And a lot of times I just end up watching the episode like three times again. And I had to go back and source more media. I swear that she said, I have to go tell my man. And my eyes just kind of like bulged out of my head when I heard that. I was like, oh, Crockett. It was like, oh, Tubbs, you're being set up. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's a trap. Then I realized... She says, I'm going to go tell my ride. It's like, oh, thank you for clarifying. Because I was like a little bit taken aback. So her name's Michelle. While she's telling her ride, for some reason, Tubbs is pouring champagne into his glass after putting his glass on top of her glass, but not like making a champagne fountain where you pour 
you overpour the glass of champagne so it falls down on the side. And then there's two champagne glasses basically meeting in the middle of the bottom of the stem or the stand of the previous champagne glass. I'm not explaining this right. I'm sorry. You know what they look like. But yeah, it was a very weird way to pour it. And Crockett's standing in front of him and says they need to talk. Tubbs basically retorts that, hey, office hours are Monday to Friday. You know, you can leave it on my desk. Like, you know, they decided to squash the friendship for now and just be partners. Then Crockett finally relents a little bit more and really asks him for help. And then when Michelle gets back, Tubbs decides to go off with Crockett and talk with him and leaving Michelle in the lurch. So that is friendship. That is true partnership. And now we arrive at possibly one of the most iconic scenes in the entire Miami Vice series. 122 episodes? 21? I did the math. 111. Where they're talking in front of this gas station. This gas station is not operational anymore. There's no gas tanks. Last I read is actually it's now a tire shop. So hopefully they kept the facade. Um, If anyone is in Miami, if you can let me know, that'd be cool. Or take a picture. Um, It is harder to find when you do go on those websites, you know, of filming locations and what was filmed where, but because maybe it's changed so much, even just within the past 10 years since I went, that it everything might just be completely different. You know, this might be condos, this might be a new restaurant, this might be what have you. So it is in Little Havana. If you do find it, please send a picture or uh, post a picture so we can all see. But let's get back. This is a very an emotionally revealing scene. Incredibly well-written and incredibly well-acted. Crockett and Tubbs are now friends again, and Crockett is going to be straight up and honest with Tubbs and tell him what's going on. Basically, Evan, Crockett, and this guy Mike all work together. They all came up in the academy together. When they all started off in Vice, they were very green. One of their first cases was to go undercover at different dance clubs, um, basically kind of like a, a drug scope. Ang- I'm sorry, I'm not doing that correctly. Basically, they're just going undercover in clubs to try to kind of source where this party drug was coming from, from what I could un- what I could gather. So Mike hesitated a little bit once he got this case. He didn't want to be part of it. He asked us it out. Evan kind of insinuated that the reason he wanted to set this out is because there were a lot of gay clubs on the list and that he was gay. And like him and Crockett would kind of tease him about it. And then Mike reveals the truth that, yeah, that is the real reason he wants to be taken off the case is because he is gay. He was in the closet. Evan's tune went from teasing to straight up homophobia, throwing the F word around, asking to be transferred to another department. Crockett didn't say anything. He didn't say anything homophobic to Mike, but he didn't stand up for Mike and he didn't put Evan in his place from what I can gather. And even though he didn't approve of Evan's behavior and as you could tell, their friendship did not survive, Crockett still has a lot of guilt about what happened because the reason they're at that gas station is so after the revelation, Mike came out or that it was revealed that Mike was gay. They threw a desk at him, basically trying to get him to drop out. Evan did transfer to ATF. And speaking of suicide missions, 
you could tell, Crockett could tell that Mike was doing a similar thing, that he was putting himself in high-risk situations. And this gas station was the last one where a guy who was high on angel dust or PCP threatening people, dangerous, and Mike was off-duty. He didn't call for backup and basically got in the middle of this fight and took a barrel straight to the chest. And even though it wasn't written up as such, Crockett knows that it was suicide and he has a lot of regret for it and a lot of regret of the things that he didn't do. And even though he didn't ever condone Evan's behavior, the fact that he didn't outright condemn it still eats him alive to this day. And I'll let Crockett tell a little bit more in detail in this next scene. I didn't stick up for him. He was my friend. Failed. I couldn't find a way to handle it. You had the right feelings. Even that I didn't do anything about it. What could you do, man? You didn't know how. They don't teach that in the academy. You learn it in the street, in the world, in our hearts, where I know you have it. I don't know. You better know. Because I don't pass up beautiful girls like Michelle for nothing less. And the scene does end very sweetly where they're both sitting down. Crockett laughs after hearing that and puts his arm around him and says, you know, hey, Tubbs, you're all right. And they leave again, not only as partners, but friends. And then after that revelation, we're back at the precinct. Gina looks great in gray pants. She always looks good, but she especially looks good in the scene. Evan stumbles in, drunk, disheveled. Again, it looks like it's like nine in the morning. Like everyone is still drinking coffee. They're up and peppy. His shirt's open. Glorious chest hair, I must say, William Russ. And then walks up to Crockett's desk and says, it's time for a drink. Crockett takes him to the back room. And this is a really another emotionally important scene in that we kind of see a little bit more insight into Evan in that a man's, what is it, in vino veritas, a drunk man's words or a sober man's thoughts. And Evan starts to break down in front of Crockett, saying that he does have a lot of guilt and he'll never be able to repent for it in a way that will absolve him of anything that he's done and that he has all these demons that Crockett doesn't know about and that he'll never, he obviously has a ton of regrets and a ton of guilt about what happened. And the way him and Crockett bond in the scene, it did make me cry. I thought it was incredibly poignant and interesting to see two men in a career that is not traditionally welcome to emotions, mental health understanding, and especially when you're going undercover, when you have to hide not only your emotions, but who you are, to see these two men break down over a friend that they really loved and that they mistreated 
in very different degrees of behavior, I will say. What Crockett did is not comparable at all to what Evan did. And Crockett is finally able to really ask him, you know, is this why you keep going on these suicide missions? Is that why you've tried to catch a bullet for years? What's that? Adjustment? Guzman took the bait. Tonight we reel him in. When Evan's tone shifts is when Tubbs opens the door, and you can just see that like complete juxtaposition from being so emotionally open and vulnerable to just like switching on a dime and. That is like, you know, a lot of people do that. A lot of men do that. And especially in their line of work, they have to do that. You always have to be on when you're undercover. So the acting was top notch in that scene. As you can see, I'm so emotional. I'm to rehear it. It just reminds me a lot of a ton of ex-boyfriends. Um, I very much would have so many men open up to me, confide in me, and then like completely ghost me the next day, which... Or, like, you know, completely downplay what happened. And it always bothered me. And, like, a lot of my friends were like, just blow it off, just blow it off. But now I'm just much, I'm older and I'm wiser. And, you know, that's just how people process things. And you cannot, you can't get people to process their emotions the way you want them to. Everybody works on their own schedule. And if they're not ready to be emotionally vulnerable with you sober, you can't force them to, and you might embarrass them trying to get them. And I've had this a lot with friends who've also been trying to get sober. You know, one day I am an incredibly important part of their life, and then, you know, they just get embarrassed. So I try not to take it personally anymore, but like, oh yeah, 17-year-old me rewatching this episode, I'm sure it was like, hoo, hoo, hoo. <laughs> a little too close to home. So... You could just see that Evan is very frail mentally, that he is, quote, as Crockett says, hang on a string, because Tubbs could tell that something went on, that they weren't just going to go have a drink in the back room now that Tubbs knows his backstory. So I also thought that was great of Tubbs to kind of check in with his partner and to make sure that Crockett was doing okay. And I really do think it was nice how Crockett handled Evan, even though I'm not absolving Evan for any of his behavior or how he treated Mike. I did appreciate that Crockett was at least able to comfort him and at least, and he didn't offer him anything hollow. He didn't offer him a hollow forgiveness because that's what he was asking for. Make me happy. Forgive me. Help me get over this. Help me fight these demons. And Crockett wouldn't give that to him because frankly, he did not 
deserve it, but I do appreciate that at least he was there for him in that moment. And so, as Evan said, the deal is going down. <clears throat> Croc and Tubbs arrive at another port. You know, it is Miami, so where else are you going to go that doesn't have a ton of surveillance at night that's dark with lots of things to obscure the view? The port. Uh, there is... I don't know why I didn't make a clip of this. <laughs> Croco is like, oh, I love the smell of industry and stagnant water. And then Tubbs says it reminds him of home because he's from New York. So I thought that was very funny. But I don't know why I didn't get a clip of that. Too late now. But that was very funny. Then it kind of changes again as they're waiting for Guzman and Evan. Crockett and Tubbs are at this moment. They're both thinking a lot and Crockett hates waiting and Tubbs can kind of decipher what Crockett really wants to say. God, I hate the waiting more than anything. We've both been living with it all this time. We're needing to wait, you. Now there's a chance for you to lay it to rest. Tubbs, as always, incredibly emotionally intelligent, wise, with a ton of foresight. And they're still waiting, and they're still waiting, and finally Evan and Guzman show up. But things are kind of a little bit off on this deal. Doesn't appear you brought the money. Doesn't appear you brought the hardware. Did you? And points up to the helicopter that is bringing the guns to the deal. Tubbs has previously kind of stashed away the briefcase behind some some boat hole and is able to get it. And Guzman pans up. I made a gif of this. With a cigarette holder, briefcase of money, cigarette holder still in his hand. So can't get any more 80s than that. And this guy was in Scarface. So he should be on, He should have a statue in Miami. <laughs> That's probably why I don't live there, because it would just be like, every day, just me talking about my advice and Scarface. Everyone's like, that happened over 30 years ago, please. It's a lot different now. That wasn't a great time of our history. Um, so this deal's about to go down. They're about to exchange everything over. They see the guns. They see the money. When the vice squad pops up, they're in a different uniform. They're in a brown uniform that says Border Patrol. If I'm not mistaken, I might be mistaken. I might look back and edit that out. They see something. They even say we see some illegal activity going on. They order everybody to basically line up, put their hands up, turn around. Then they take the guns with the reasoning being that they can't fit both the guns and everybody that they need to arrest at the scene into the cars. It looks like a ripoff. So this took me, again, three rewatches to really get. I was like, wait, why did they rip them off? That doesn't make any sense. I was like, oh, because they don't want to bust Guzman because of the ATF connection with Evan, but they want the guns off the street. So they're going to make it look like it was a setup and that Guzman is the one who's the shady one. So then Crockett and Tubbs have an excuse not to do business. And that is exactly what happens where Crockett and Tubbs tell Guzman that their operation is shady, that Guzman, their leak obviously came from Guzman's camp. Guzman says that, you know, it was the police that were corrupt, blah, blah, blah. It's not his fault. So then now Crockett and Tubbs can walk off. They're off this case. Let's hope. And as they're walking off, they're walking off very, 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 very slowly to the sounds of Biko by Peter Gabriel playing in the background. And it's 
they're not completely turned away. It's when they're kind of like half turned away and they're kind of still looking back. So they're looking back. Evan is in the middle. Evan is not completely next to Guzman walking back towards his car. And Evan keeps looking at Crockett, keeps looking back at Guzman. Crockett and Tubbs keep looking. And once Crockett and Tubbs do turn their back after they've passed by that shipping container is where they see Guzman pull out his gun. Evan also notices Evan runs back. Crockett calls out for Evan, trying to get him to move out of the way. It doesn't work. And Evan ends up in the middle of fire. He basically throws himself at the bullet. Crockett and Tubbs open fire on Guzman, and they're able to shoot him. So I guess that his car was not bulletproof, but it was fireproof. Interesting, because remember in the opening scene when Evan drove the car... Maybe it was a different car. I think it was a different car because it's not making sense why you wouldn't have a bulletproof car if you're an international arms dealer. Hmm, there we go. That's my question for this episode. And Crockett and Tubbs race over to Evan. Crockett cradles Evan, trying to talk to him. And they finally are able to get a little bit more time to talk about what's going on. Evan says that it was his decision, just like it was Orgel's decision, Mike Orgel's. Crockett is just comforting him at his last moments. And unfortunately, this clip can't be long because we do have copyrighted music playing in the background. But yeah, these are Evan's last words. Orgel made his own decision. Evan, hang on. Evan, now it's your turn. And the way I'm going to interpret now it's your turn, because you did the kind of the same thing, like there's a bullet with your name on it. I don't think it's so much a threat. I think it's kind of a warning of not taking care of mental health issues and not forgiving yourself for what's happened and dwelling on the past and the toll that it takes on you in addition to the toll that going undercover takes on you that we spoke about a little bit more in um, Heart of Darkness. But again, this was, you know, Artie was an FBI agent. Evan is an ATF agent. And that despite being part of these big organizations, you are still pretty much just a number. And maybe hopefully it's changed. I don't know. I don't think anybody who works for those organizations can reach out and let me know what your mental health policies are. But maybe you should. That'd be great. Um, as long as you're not leaking any pertinent information. Because I really do hope that things have changed within 38 years. Um, and yeah, just one episode. I wish I could have played more. Like the more dialogue I recorded. But I just realized I was playing entire scenes. So I do recommend... If you have not seen it, please make an effort to watch it. I believe it is available in Canada on CTV Classics or CTV Throwbacks on streaming. And then in America, I notice, believe it is still streaming on the Roku channel. I have not checked recently. Um, you can buy it for $17 a season on Amazon, or you can just honestly get the entire series for like $30. And you have it with you. You have physical media. You know how big of a proponent I am of physical media. And, wow, that's the episode, Evan. And there's a lot I already touched on, so I don't really want to repeat myself because I had a dream where someone left a comment that I keep double-talking, which I do. Um, so I'm trying to 
edit myself from criticism that I could possibly face. The music was really good in this episode, too. I think having two really strong Peter Gabriel songs, especially ending with Biko, in that heartwarming scene. I don't want to say heartwarming scene, in that kind of like heart-pulling scene with Croc and Evan really kind of helped pull it all together. I think thematically the episode was really well done. I don't think... The only thing I would have cut out with, uh, which apparently a lot of German... Uh, syndications and the German DVD release did was the neo-Nazi scene because I was like, oof, oof, I'm not touching that with a temple pole. Um, yeah. And then the song playing in the club was You Only Left Your Picture by Fashion. The band's name is Fashion. So on a happier note, speaking of fashion, let's get into... Okay, no surprise. The winner is going to be Guzman for just the cigarette holder, the sunglasses, the whole vibe. The wooden cane... Just an incredibly stylish 27-year-old man. <laughs> uh, second best dress. I'm going to give to Tubbs in Purple, Crockett in Turquoise, and also Gina's sweater vest. Because sweaters, as you know, make boobs look great. And I just thought it was like very... To wear stripes, white and stripes. You know, it takes an incredibly fit, beautiful woman to pull that off. So kudos to you, Gina. You looked like a million bucks and you should be rewarded for it. Now, I didn't have a best piece of artwork this episode. There wasn't really anything in Guzman's house that pulled my eye in, except for those doors. So the decor of this episode goes, of course, to an international arms dealer. (laughs) Big surprise. Big surprise. Now, as we move on to our next category, I'll remind you that the reason that maybe Crockett and Evan have more friction than just the mic situation is that they're both uh, made up of 80%... (laughs) 80% tobacco smoke. Government regulations prohibit us from advertising on TV. <sighs> ah, that sweet Carolina smoke. And that is bestowed to him for his breakfast of cigarettes and knockoff Jack Daniels American whiskey. I'm sure it's like Kentucky bourbon, like how Evan Williams is kind of the knockoff because the label looks very similar, but it's not a Tennessee whiskey. It doesn't have like the Lincoln County um, filtration process. So it makes it a little bit different, but it's basically the same. But William Russ and Don Johnson have another thing in common. They all start together in this movie called The Long Hot Summer, which I've just discovered thanks to IMDb. It does not look like it was super popular. It is Don Johnson, Sybil Shepard, and of course, William Russ. William Russ, you'll also know him from Boy Meets World. And I always thought it was very funny because I always thought he was incredibly handsome as the dad. Like, you could tell that back in the day he was handsome. If he didn't have that pompadour in this episode, he would be like a 9 out of 10. That <laughs> The chest hair actually would make him a 10 out of 10. I take that back. But Corey is not I don't know where he came from because it doesn't look like either of his parents. And I understand that he's Fred Savage's little brother. So it's a whole nepotism thing. And that's why he was basically in like the sequel to Wonder Years, which was Boy Meets World. But his brother on the show, I think it's not Will. Will's his name in real life. But his brother on the show was like super hot. Like the older brother's super hot. His best friend's super hot. And then Corey is just kind of like question mark. So yeah, I don't know what the milkman looked like because that that ain't your kid. (laughs) That is definitely not your kid. Oh, and then also some other William Russ IMDb fun facts. He was also an episode of Nash Bridges. So there's another Don Johnson connection. Then he was also in a show called Wise Guy, which I for some reason never heard of because he plays an agent with OCB with an undercover or sorry, organized crime bureau. And... 
that kind of seems like it would be right on my alley. So I'm going to try to find this on YouTube because you know what else I found on YouTube? Don Johnson's episode of The Streets of San Francisco. I believe it was 1977. Young Don Johnson in flared jeans, silk shirts, this beautiful mustache as kind of like um, a brash, abrasive, kind of hot-headed motorcycle cop in San Francisco. And... It's already after Michael Douglas had left. So San Francisco had started with Michael Douglas and then he left to go win Oscar for one floor of the cuckoo's nest. So good for him. So it's season five, episode nine, I believe, entitled Hot Dog. It is on YouTube. I'm going to try to link the link. Hopefully it's available in your country because I found it with no commercials. So and just to see a baby faced Don Johnson at his finest. He just keeps getting better and better with age. I don't know what that man does. I don't know how you can smoke that heavy and be in the sun that long and still age that well. And then a little bit more uh, fun stuff on Al Israel, who was Guzman, who was apparently 20 20 years old. On IMDb, it says he was born in 1935. Yes, 1935, not 1958. Big difference. You'll, of course, know him from Scarface, like I mentioned, Carlito's Way. What I didn't know is that he was on an episode of Rich Who Diary. <laughs> and the reason I'm... <laughs> oh, my God. So, Rich Who Diaries. It was incredibly popular in Canada. It was on all the time, even though it was not suitable for children. I do not know. Everyone was able to watch it, I think. Or maybe it just came out at like 10 p.m. on Showcase, which was our version of Showtime. So in Canada, you can't really... A lot of the channels in the States, you couldn't really license. So we had much music instead of MTV until later on. We had Showcase instead of like Showtime. Uh, We had the... um, fashion channel i believe like we had a lot of these we had star tv instead of etv so we had a lot of these like bootleg channels but actually showcase produced a lot of really good things like la femme nikita like a lot of those canadian productions that you know about one of the not so well known the red shoe diaries where david nicovney would narrate these um (laughs) i can't say without laughing basically like erotic thrillers so the fact that this guy who's known for chopping Tony Montana's friend up in Scarface was on an episode of Red Shoe Diaries. I do not even want to know what he was because it was erotic for the time. And I just don't see that with him. So uh, maybe I'll look that up. (laughs) And wow, with that, we are at 54 minutes. I am so sorry I rambled on this episode, but I also got to touch touch on a lot of really important things. It's a very important episode. Very well acted, well written, well directed. 10 out of 10 all around. And now join me because the next episode we're going to be breaking down is Lombard. Therefore, we're done season one after the next episode. So definitely feel free. Follow me on all things social advice and easy podcast. Check out the gallery. Everything you want is right on my link tree on Instagram. Vice and easy podcast. Everywhere you want. Anywhere you want. Like my Instagrams. Enjoy my memes. Share them with your friends. Let's get Miami Vice to be as culturally relevant as we possibly can in 2022. Because it's a great show that deserves a lot of great recognition. I'll see you next time, and as always... Hey man, Miami Wise is number one new show.